Uh, a couple of more really brief things I want you to be aware of as well. On the 24th of April, Wednesday the 24th of April, we have Pastor Lawrence speaking on a Wednesday night uh, here at church. Um, so if you have a cell group on a Wednesday, it would be really great if you guys could come along and we'd be ministered to by our brother Pastor Lawrence. So that's Wednesday night, 8 p.m. here at church, the 24th of April. Um, second thing I want to make known is that uh, I have a friend uh, by the name of Kenny Liu, who actually delves a little bit into the Christian's role in politics. We have a, an election coming up soon, and we are told within Scripture to pray for our leaders. And what Kenny does is specifically go around to churches and just to make people aware of us as Christians and our responsibility to not only in our voting, but in our praying about um, the, the future of this country's government. Um, so we're going to probably do that either the 2nd of May, which is the first Friday night of May. Kenny made himself available to do that. So those are two dates. I'll remind you again next week, and I might actually put the announcement in for the MC to actually announce it as well. Um, but is, those are two things to be aware of. 24th of April, Pastor Lawrence, CEO, is coming to speak here uh, Wednesday night, and Pastor Kenny Liu, who's going to be coming along as well on Friday the 2nd of May. Now, pardon? Second. Is it, is it the first Friday of May? It's the third. My apologies. My, my apologies. Now, one of the things I enjoy watching just recently uh, is reality TV, but not in reality TV like the way you look at the... I don't like that sort of stuff, whatever, Love Island or whatever. Um, my, my sort of reality TV is American politics. It's really funny. It's really funny watching American politics, specifically Donald Trump. And Donald Trump says some things. Like, he says some things. And one of the funniest things is when they, he shut down the government in order to get funding to build the wall... He was being harassed by a particular journalist who kept saying to him, why don't you open the government? Why don't you just open the government? Why don't you just open... And he just kept berating him while he was trying to sign some documents, to which Donald Trump, in his usual Trumpism manner, responded and said, what would you do? What would you do? The reporter goes, well, I'm not the one that's president. I'm asking you, if you are president of the United States and you were in this situation where you need to get something done, what would you do? He goes, well, I don't. He goes, no, I'm asking you, what would you do if you were president? To which the journalist goes, I don't know. Trump's response, that is why you will never be president. And I was like, that was so funny. I thought that was really quite good. But I was like, did he really say that? Did he really say that? Did he really just shoot this guy down? And, and sadly, Trump says what he thinks all the time. Sometimes it's great. Most times it's not which is really quite fascinating. And for those who don't know, we have been going through a series, which we started a couple of weeks ago, about the things that Jesus said. Jesus said what? And we're looking at some various controversial, I don't like using the words controversial, but somewhat controversial statements within his teaching that cause us to stop and think and evaluate and really think to ourselves, Jesus said what? Jesus said what about sin? And about sin is more than just the outward action, it's the inward reality that is expressed in our outward action. Then we looked at what Jesus said, what about our enemies, about loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute you, about turning the other cheek, about going the extra mile, about giving when somebody asks of you and if someone wants to borrow from you, you give it. Those are some pretty shocking things, but as we'll look at today, I think this is the most controversial thing Jesus taught in relation to a person standing before God. Now, please remember, when I say controversial, we're the ones that make it controversial because it rubs us the wrong way. We're the ones that find it controversial because we find it difficult to adhere to and obey the plain teachings found within Scripture. That's the reason why it's controversial, because we don't like it. That's why it's controversial, and that's why we sit there and say, Jesus said what about this, or what about that? And the reality is this, when we challenge with such a thing, it causes us to stop and assess where we really are in our relationship with Him. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and we're going to look at something that Jesus said about our relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word we thank you for the examples that are given within the pages of Scripture to not only encourage us, but to challenge us, to convict us, and to bring us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray you will help me to speak slowly and clearly. I pray that your truth, your word, by your Spirit goes forth and impacts the hearts of all of us here, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is knowing 
and there is knowing. There is knowing who someone is, and there is knowing who someone is. You, you, you know in the sense of a relationship. It's a, a knowing where you are not only known by them, but known by them in the right manner. Uh, for example, you can know people and are known by people, you may be enemies, you may be acquaintances, you may be fellow workers or fellow laborers, but not necessarily having a genuine relationship with them, even though you are known by them. Case in point, we have four politicians up on that board. Now, obviously, the, the top left, who's that? Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Uh, bottom right? <laughs> Anning, the dude had the egg cracked on his head. That's the only reason I know him. Uh, I think Francis Anning, I think his name is. Well, sorry, yeah. Okay. Um, then we have uh, my son's lookalike, Barack Obama. Uh, then we have Nathaniel there in the bottom left. And then we have, of course, Donald Trump. Now, I know for a fact that if I met any one of these gentlemen, like we all know who these people are, and if we ever met any of those guys, we probably wouldn't be remembered by them a week to two weeks later unless we crack an egg on one of their heads. And even then, it won't be remembered in the right way. But we don't know them in the sense where Donald Trump, billionaire President Donald Trump, would actually give to me or loan to me the resources or the perks and the benefits that are available to him as president. I don't know him to that extent. I don't know him to the extent where if I get into trouble, he will swoop, swoop down and bail me out of any situation. I don't know him to that extent. So there is a difference between knowing and knowing. And so when I think about knowing in regards to our relationship to him, it's not only knowing who they are, not only being known by them, but being known by them and accepted by them in a mutual friendship in a, what the Bible calls a reconciled friendship, because that's what the word reconciliation means. It means the establishing of friendly relations, or actually the re-establishing of friendly relations. And the point that Jesus is making today as we look in the Scriptures is what Jesus said about salvation. What Jesus says about salvation. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read from verses 13 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. And there's only going to be one area that we're going to focus on this morning. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That is shocking. Jesus said what? When you look at these things specifically here, we're going to go from verses 21 through to 23. Because Jesus said this about salvation, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There are three observations from this one verse I want us to focus on today. And in it, I want us to examine our relationship that we have with our God and what the basis of that relationship is. 
The first one is simple. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Like I mentioned regarding Scott Morrison and Donald Trump, just because I mentioned their names or profess my personal knowledge of them, the legitimacy of that knowledge is evident in the relationship they share with me. Okay, It is evident in the relationship they share with me. So too does Jesus emphasize this same reality. It's the relationship that he shares with people, not what people associate themselves with, not with who they associate themselves with, but rather who he associates himself with. There is always a myriad of people that came to Jesus, as you read through the Gospels, that sought Jesus out, that heard about Jesus, and some even acknowledged his lordship and his identity as being Lord. But just because there is an acknowledgement of him doesn't mean that there's an acceptance by him. And there's no clearer picture of this than in John chapter 6. If you read in John chapter 6, you have one of the greatest miracles where he fed 5,000 people with some bread and some fish. And because they experienced such a great provision of God's miraculous working, they were like, let's make him our king. John chapter 6 verse 26. They're like, let's make him our king. So Jesus leaves. Why? Because he knows what's within the heart of man. And as he leaves and goes away and retreats to himself, they wake up and they chase him down. Where is he? Where is he? And they follow him, not because of what he taught, not because of his greatness as being God's son and God's Messiah, but because their stomachs were filled. Sorry, that was verse 26. But because his stomachs were filled, not because of his identity. And so what does he do? He explains to them, I am the bread of life. He, taught, he explains to them that sustenance, that contentment is found within him in which they did not understand. They didn't understand when he says to eat of the bread of life that will receive life in ourselves. They couldn't gather that truth that Jesus communicated. Why? Because they did not truly know him or were known by him. He sifted out those who were genuine and those who were not. And we read this, which I think appropriate in John chapter 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is a picture of those who say, Lord, Lord. This is a picture who have an intellectual identification of who someone is, but no genuine relationship with him. This is the person who knows who the Lord is. The person may even speak to speak. The person who knows the right words, who gives the right impression, who behaves in the appropriate way, but do not know the Lord and are not known by Him. These are the people, talks, these are the people that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He says that they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. A form of godliness. That form implies a shape. It looks similar. It looks right. It acts right. It seems right. It sort of makes a rough image of what something is supposed to be. But when tested under fire, the reality is brought forth. When you read in the parable of the sower, you read of what happens with the seed that falls on the rocky ground. It takes a shallow root, but when you have persecution, when you have trials, when you have all those things, what happens? The plant withers and dies. It had a form of godliness, a form of a relationship, a form of knowledge that was exposed under trial. And this is what we read here. And this is the reason why um, the false prophets referred to in verses 15 to 20, they referred to or identified by their fruit. They look right. They have a form of godliness. They may say the right things, but they are evidenced in reality by their fruit that manifests. And we recognize these false teachers by their words, by their deeds, and over time by their desires. And, and so it is with us. See, this is making reference to those who are false followers of Jesus Christ. People who profess but don't actually know. And false followers are exposed in the same fashion. 
They expose in the same fashion over time because words reveal the heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Deeds reveal their priorities. Desires reveal their values. And you can tell. And the reason why I say over time is because time basically reflects or manifests the resolution of the the reality of the relationship that is shared, the commitment that is given. And it's the reason why the analogy made in verses 15 to 20, it talks about, it refers to fruit and the source of the fruit. Good fruit, sorry, a good, a good fruit comes from a good tree, bad fruit comes from a bad tree. See, the longevity of one's faithfulness can give an idea of where one's heart really belongs. Actually, no, to whom whose heart really belongs over time. And I say this because in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John writes about this. He says, they went out from us. Talking about people that professed to be followers and fell away. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Now, here's the thing. Why? For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. I want to read that again. They did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You look in John chapter 6. After everybody leaves, the Lord Jesus approaches his disciples and he says, Will you also go? To which Peter said, Where will we go, Lord? You hold the keys to life. They had resolved, doesn't matter what happened, doesn't matter what they go through, doesn't matter the hardship and the failings that they experienced, they were going to stay. Why? Because there was nowhere else to go. Do you know how ocean liners and tankers, you know how they're proven to be seaworthy? They get put in a storm. The reality of one's seaworthiness is exposed in the storm. Not in the harbor where everything's sweet, but when they go out on the rough seas and they find out how reliable, how legitimate the seaworthy vessel is in the midst of a storm. You want to know how genuine your faith is? Go through a storm. You want to know where the reality of your faith is? Go through a storm. That exposes where you really are, no, where I really am in my relationship with Jesus. And as controversial as this sounds, this isn't me talking. This is what the Scriptures teach. you got an issue, you take it up with God. You seek Him in prayer and say, where is this at? Because this, I mean, He said what? He's saying only some? Only some? Oh, that, that is insane. That's why if my brother, and I love my brother dearly, he started coming to the church, and I remember when he became saved. And this is a few years later. He came got involved with our church, and then he went away. Uh, Fritz, my brother Fritz. I'll say Fritz. I say Fritz because, hey, Fritz, if you're listening, amen. Okay. So, and I remember when he became a Christian, a legitimate Christian this time, he actually said to me, he said, so hang on, all the time I came with you to Yeshua, that was the name of our church, to Yeshua, you, didn't think I was, you don't think I was a Christian then? I said, no. And he goes, why do you say that? Because of this verse. If you were of us, you wouldn't have left. If you knew this, you would have stayed. That's the reality of it. That's not me. That's not me making my claim, making my judgment. That's the scripture bringing the condemnation on you. And he said, well, okay, thanks. And we got to carry on. And, and praise God, he's pushing on hard. But this is the way, see, not everyone. It implies that it's not going to everybody. Just because you name the name of Christ doesn't mean you'll be accepted by him. That is scary. Now, what happens with this knowing or not being known? Now, I remember, this is nigh on three decades ago. Nigh on three, what do I say? I like the word nigh. Nigh on three decades ago. Nigh on three decades ago, I remember I went nightclubbing, okay? I went to a nightclub, so I was not a Christian then, okay? I went to a nightclub. If you're a Christian, you go nightclubbing, I'm sorry, don't. Anyway, um, so... I went, I went to this nightclub, and I remember, I remember, I mean, I was dressed, I was dressed to the nines, man. Like, I was like, yeah, boy. Now, remember, 
This is like the, the 90s. This is like the 90s. And so I had like my bright orange pants, my bright yellow shirt. It's just don't ask. Okay, but I remember going to the nightclub and the bouncer saying to me, no, sir. And I'm like, sorry, what, what's going on? You can't come in. I'm like, why? All my friends are like, why? Why, why, why? See, in my mind, I had met the criteria to enter this nightclub. I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm smiling, I'm dressed well, I've got clean shoes on, and he still turned me away. Now, it was his prerogative because he had the authority of the position he held to turn whoever he wanted away, and he just happened to choose me. Was I happy? No. Did I complain? Yes. Did I do anything else? Yeah, I did. I left. Yeah, let that be a lesson to you, okay? But here is the reality, okay? Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not all of us. See, the exclusion of us not entering the kingdom of heaven is not Jesus being unfair. It is not him being discriminatory. It is not him being bigoted. It's Jesus saying that there will be people who will be rejected and who will be turned away at the door and forbidden entrance because they don't meet the criteria. The criteria of entry that is based upon what he says, because it's his prerogative. He is the one that established who is accepted and who is not. He is the one that deemed who is worthy and who isn't based upon the criteria he lays down. And so it's not him being unfair, it's saying, you want to come in, you must enter my way, not your own. And, and we are told this Within the, within the scriptures, was it John chapter 14, verse 6, which we should all know. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes unto the Father except by me. That's it. That's it. Now, in today's society, this is considered to be oh, exclusionary. This is considered to be um, one-sided or prejudice. It's prejudicial in how we view things because we say there are certain people that aren't allowed in the kingdom. Well, here's something for you to think about. None of us are deserving of having entry. None of us. None of us are worthy of being welcomed into the kingdom of God. None of us. That is by God's grace and God's grace alone. And here's the thing, though, exclusion, exclusion is necessary for society to function well. We have exclusion all around us. I don't go to Carissa's job, sit at somebody's desk, and make some claim on how something's to be done with money. No. I don't go to Daniel's job and do the same. I don't jump in and try to take over his podcast, which Dan, Daniel was part of. I, I've listened, bro. Well done. Okay. And listen to his podcast. I don't do that. I don't drive however I want. There are exclusive rules on how, on how the, the road is supposed to be driven on. There are exclusive rules of who enters and who does not enter certain places. I can't walk into a theater, a, a theater in hospital and start operating on someone because I'm not trained to do that. If I walk in there and say, I think I'm okay, I can do this. No, that's ridiculous. We have exclusion all over the place. And so to sit there and say, well, that's been unfair. No, that's been real. That's been real. That's the reality of life. And here's what's interesting. Because of this inclusive nature of what society is today, what happens is we sit there and say, well, there must be many ways in which entry can be gained. Well, no, there's not. People say, if I, if I, live, if I live a good life, that'll gain me entry. People say, if I give money away to, to the poor, it'll gain me entry if I treat my parents well. All wonderful things if I do the best that I can, if I, if I treat people with respect. All wonderful things, but they are not the way in which Jesus Christ set out for us. Why? Because we are told in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore, if this is where, if there's those people that cannot enter, the kingdom of heaven. We've got the people that won't enter. We have the place in which they are refused entry. And then we, are gained, we, we see how entry is gained. The third thing is this, that only the one who does the will of my Father. Now, this is where we get into some meaty stuff, okay? 
this is of note because we come across this word does. This word does. And automatically, this leads us to the conclusion that acceptance by God is based upon the action we do. The action we perform, which is in a sense right and which is in a sense wrong. The action that is wrong is actually referred to in verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Look, we look at this. This is great. They are doing some good stuff here. They are doing some wonderful things. But isn't it fascinating how whenever we are told or, or, or asked about how are you accepted or how you display love or whatever it might be, the first thing we do to define our spirituality is look at what we do. That's the first thing we do. The first thing we do is on the action, the activity. So in the face of this question, like, what is the will of my father? Only those who do the will of the father. What is the will of the father is automatically addressed in these terms. There we go. Oh, I went too far. Because they sit there and they say, did we not prophesy? What they did. Did we not drive out demons? Did we not perform miracles? All good things, all done in the name of the Lord, all done with the idea that it was fulfilling the will of the Father, only to, to discover the greatest of all condemnations from the Lord. Verse 23, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's insane. That's insane. He he said, well, look, but we've done all these amazing things in your name, Lord. We've driven out demons. We've prophesied in your name. We've, we've performed miracles in your name. And he says, away from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. That, I mean, how, how can this be? How can a person devote their lives saying they know God and are not known by him? How can, we, how can one become so blind they refuse to see the reality of the Lord Jesus and, and being so religious and being so pious and being so active, they've convinced themselves that they are accepted because of everything they do. See, this is, this, is, this is why this is considered controversial because now we start assessing our own lives Well. Where, where am I at spiritually? How, how, how is my relationship? See, the criticism of their answer to the Lord's rejection, rege of the Lord's rejection here, is that they replaced their acceptance, their spiritual acceptance, their spiritual standing, and their spiritual acknowledgement. They based all of that on everything that they could do. Everything on themselves. That's the difference there. The central focus of, of that is me and the things that I achieve. And this is what a religion, in the negative sense, is. Now, activity can never be a, a good substitute for spirituality. It can never be a good substitute for relationship. It is good. Please don't get me wrong. Activity can be a tool to help you refocus re-establish or replant yourself in your relationship. For example, how many people here, if you're married, how many of the people here go on the occasional date night? One couple, two couples, three couples. Okay, if you, if you don't, come on, man. Guys, pick up your game, all right? All right, but all I'm saying is this. You, you go on a date night with your wife. Why? So you can devote just, just your time for you and your missus. That's not, the whole thing is not the date night. The whole thing is about you being with them, being with your wife. So all of these activities can help you refocus yourself in your relationship with Jesus. Coming and singing worship. You may not feel like singing worship. You may not feel like coming to church. You come to church and being around the saints, being around the brethren, singing and hearing the word. That might encourage your heart. And that's a tool that God can use to draw you closer to him. You may not feel like reading your word, but you force yourself to read the word and God will speak to you through a verse that just might encourage you and help you refocus. 
You, you may not feel like going to somebody and telling them about Jesus, but you do it anyway because you want to be obedient and in that activity experience the joy of sharing the gospel with someone or being rejected for the gospel. So there are activity is a good thing. But it's not to be the be-all and end-all of your relationship with God. That is not to be the mark by which you gauge, this is how close I am to God because I'm active. Okay, That's not to be the measure because that is what the religious people did, especially the Pharisees. And you see this because it's best described by the Pharisees and illustrated in the Pharisees. You remember what we talked about last week from Mark? Mark. 7 verses 8 and 9, you have let go of the commands of God and holding on to human traditions. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. Mark 7, 8, 9. This is what happens. This is the negative sense because while there might be an appearance of things running smoothly or even in some cases as successful, the truth of where you are, of where you are honestly at cannot be hidden from God. And the light of God's word, we see this, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. And this is a truth that Jesus confronts the religious people with, not only the Pharisees of his, his day, but the religious attitudes of our day today. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. In verse 26 of the same chapter, there is a reference to the spiritual condition that is common in religious people in the negative sense. He says this in the first two words, blind Pharisee, blind Pharisee, blindness, blindness and is the ability, well, no, the inability to see things how they are. And this is what happens with religious people and with religious attitudes is that because we have so consumed our lives with activity and so-called Christian things or in spiritual things, we have blinded ourselves to the fact that we have actually drifted further and further and further away from the relationship that Jesus in, intended for us to have. We drift. And, and that's the thing we need to be aware of. And this is what the enemy desires to continue to do, to whisper in your ear, to sit there and say, keep doing that religious thing. Keep, keep, keep saying what you're saying. Keep, keep doing what you're doing because in that, focusing on the activity, you forget about what Jesus has for you. I mean, this is the state. Blindness is the state of humanity in general. Second um, Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. But see, like the Pharisees, we too can be blinded by our religiosity, thinking that everything is okay and that we are right with God. And as controversial as this sounds, I think, I think that there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people today within the church that do not know Jesus. I think that's a reality. The reality that people have been dragged in and following maybe because they had their bellies filled and wanted to have Jesus as their Lord and King because of what they, he could do for them. Maybe there are people that go along because they like the community and want to feel somewhere where they belong. Maybe it's because, I don't know, because they receive something that they don't get anywhere else and have never come into a genuine relationship with Jesus. And that's really scary. That is really scary because you don't want to find out at the end of your life where you've devoted your life to the church, devoted your life to the kingdom, devoted your life to a cause to stand before the Lord and he says to you, depart from me. I never knew you. That is scary. This is why continually we are told in the scriptures to search me, O God, and, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked thing in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is why we are told to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. We are told this over and over and over again 
in the scriptures. Once again, if you read in verses 15 to 20, you're looking at false teachers, false prophets. You see this evidence there. They are, they are goats. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the Spirit. But once again, you compare this doing in the wrong sense with what Jesus referred to as doing in the right sense. When the Scripture teaches about the will of the Father, when the Scripture teaches about God's will, we read of numerous things within the Scriptures of what God's desire is for His people. For example, this is God's will that we, we, we personally disciplined and abstain from sexual misconduct. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. We are told within the Scriptures, which we all know, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to continually give thanks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. We know that the will of God for us is to suffer for doing what is right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. And, and so on, and so on, and so on. We have all of these things identified for us as to what the will of God is. But what the, he who does the will of the Father, this is talking about Christians. This is talking about you and I who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. But this particular passage is referring to salvation. Those who are seeking or entered into a relationship with Jesus is referring to salvation. And it's clear, it's clear cut as he explains this of those that are accepted of God and those that are rejected of God, the sheep and the goats, he talks about in Matthew chapter 25, verses 32 and 33. So, an understanding in the right sense starts with the will of the Father and what the will of the Father is. Now, there are different ways it's actually described in the context it's given, but I really like this. And, and there's, a, there's a specific way I want to go and, and deal with here. In John chapter 6, verse 21, once again, looking at the feeding of the 5,000, when he talks about the work of God. And in the talking about the work of God, the people ask, what is it that we might do so that we can work the works of God? Jesus responds in chapter 6, verse 29, and says this, the work of God is that you believe on him whom he has sent. So the doing there is what? It's relational. It's by faith, trusting in whom God has sent. When it talks about eternal life, and we all talk about life eternal and how some people like, you know, they want to live forever or whatever, or remembered forever or immortal, whatever it might be. But in his prayer at Gethsemane, in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says what? And this is life eternal, that they may know you, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Once again, eternal life is not something that is gained or possessed. Eternal life is relational. It's knowing a person and interacting with that person. See the difference of the doing here? In Luke chapter 8, verse 21, when there's a, a, a house and people can't get in there and Jesus is teaching and the people come along and say to Jesus, when Jesus' mother and brothers show up, and I say, your, mother's, your mother and brother, uh, brothers are outside. What does Jesus say? Who are my brother, my brothers and my mother? He who does the will of my father. See the difference? It's relational. This is where there's a difference between doing in the wrong sense and doing in the right sense. Doing in the right sense is about knowing Jesus Christ relationally. It's about protecting this relationship. It's about knowing who he is, that he, he, who he is. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He is the Christ in Matthew chapter 16, the, the Son of the living God, that he is the Messiah, God's chosen deliverer to set free us from the power, from the bondage and the penalty of sin. What he's done, how he lived a sinless, unblemished life, that he directed us to the Father in teaching through his authority and through the miraculous, culminating in his sacrifice on the cross, whereby he had placed upon him our guilt, our offense, our sin, and through his death satisfied the judgment of God's wrath on our behalf. That's what he's done. And where is he now? Alive. 
He rose from the dead. He conquered death. The tomb is empty, for he has risen. For he, that's what we are celebrating. And through faith in him, we receive forgiveness. We gain relationship. We have acceptance, not because of our activity, but because of our relationship to him. See, doing the will of the Father is about knowing Jesus. Remember nigh on three decades ago when I went nightclubbing? I went to another club. That club, that club, you know, it's been a, but me and, me and my friends, we left, went to another club. And the other club I went to, my brother Fritz, hey Fritz, if you're listening, I went to another club, and my brother Fritz, he was one of the bouncers. So he was actually really well known as a bouncer around Auckland. And so I went there. Now, he was inside, and some of the boys who knew who I was. And when I walked up there, I saw the line. I walked past the line. I walked past the line. I went up there. The guys saw me with my friends, and they just said, hey, come on through. And they did the handshake, you know, the whole gangster handshake hug thing, whatever it was, you know. Okay, whatever. Okay, I'm too old for that now. But here's what's interesting. Did I meet the criteria? Yes, but not because of the way I was dressed. You know how I met the criteria? Because of the relationship I had with my brother. That's why I was accepted. You want to have entry into the kingdom of heaven? It's not based upon the criteria that you seek to fulfill and the actions that you perform. It's actually fulfilled and granted by he who died for you and rose again. And that on his merits, you are accepted through the door into into the kingdom of heaven, into an eternal kingdom, based upon him and him alone, on his merits, on his work. That's where it comes down to. It's our relationship to him. You see, this is why it's so difficult. Because of our nature as people, we like to make things religious. We like to do things that make us feel good about ourselves. But this is the whole reason why, back in verse 13 and 14, it says, enter through the narrow gate. Now, now wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Why? Because these, this is the path where it's like, this is where I have control. This is what I want to do. The reason why the narrow gate is so hard to find is because it's got nothing to do with us, because we can't do anything. And it's so difficult to find because it has to be revealed to us by the Spirit of God. You want to know why people find it really strange you come to church on a Sunday? It's because they haven't found the gate. You know why when you talk about the truths of spiritual things and they don't understand and think you're crazy? It's because they can't find the gate. So you know what we can actively do to help them find the gate? Pray for them. Pray that their eyes might be open to see. Share with them. Share with them in life. Share with them just in general. Do life with those people. But more importantly, share with them Jesus, the love of Jesus in action, the love of Jesus in word. That's what you can do. And and this is how you help them to find the gate. So this is where we find ourselves, confronted by the words of Jesus about whether we not only know him, but more importantly, are known by him and accepted by him in a loving, friendly relationship. If I'm to be known by him, then like, no, not really known by him, sorry. If I am to be known by the fruit that is displayed, that shows that my beloved is mine and, and I am his, and that his banner over me is love, then as I examine myself, I, I'm challenged with these things. Uh, the fruit of repentance brought forth in my life. Is the fruit of repentance brought forth in my life? If, is this evident in how I conduct myself? Is the good fruit that is produced in me last or not just a flash in the pan? Is the fruit of the Spirit of, of, of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, is that a reality that is demonstrated in my life? Which means that for the starting point for us, the starting point for us is that we have the Son of God within our lives. That we have partaken of the right that He has bestowed upon us, as John chapter 1, verse 12 says, To all that received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
And as a child of God, you have been given a testimony, a testimony that secures your eternal destiny. 1 John chapter 5, 11 to 15 says this, that this is the testimony. God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whosoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us, whatever we ask. We know that we have what we asked of Him. In terms of our salvation, as controversial as this may sound, we can take confidence in that because we know the Son, because we have the Son, we have life. Because we have been welcomed by the Son, we have been made new. And we are known by the Father, we are sealed by the Spirit, and that ensures that the words that we hear when we stand before Him is not, depart from me, I never knew you, but rather, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. This is what Jesus said, which leaves us to examine where we may be. So my my heart, my prayer is, is not to have you walk out here today and think, am I really a Christian? Oh no, Joe said this, or Joe said that, or whatever it might be. No, 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 no. This is where you take the Scriptures. This is where you take the Scriptures, where you go on your knees and in prayer before God, say, Lord, reveal to me where I'm at. Lord, show me. This is, this, is where it go, this is where it happens. This is where the rubber hits the road. And this is what the Lord Jesus invites you to, a genuine, loving relationship with Him. That's where it starts. And just as a final note, that's where it is to remain. So with that, I am going to give you a few moments of prayer. I was going to ask the music team to come up, but I won't. But wherever you might be, I will ask the prayer team to come forward, please. If you want to be prayed for, not only to pray for your unsaved family members, but it might be to pray for yourself. It might be an attitude of repentance that might be brought about within your own heart. It might be something that God has challenged you with that you may have strayed, that you may have lost your first love. No, 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 I, I keep using that word lost. That you may have left your first love. It may be something as simple as that. But if you want to repent of such things, then please come forward and pray. Pray within the quietness of your heart now and seeking God at this time. So I just want to bow your heads. I'll give you a few moments, maybe 30 seconds, and then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you in the quietness of this moment, we ask for you to move within each of our hearts. Father, I, I pray for each of us that we might repent of our own selfishness, that we might repent of our own religiosity, that we might repent of our own activity, substituting our activity for our relationship with you. And Father, in such knowledge in our own lives, I pray you will give us the courage, the boldness, and the direction to overcome such things. 
so that we might live in accordance with your heart, in accordance with your desires. Father, that we might deepen our relationship with you that might flow out into our activity. Father, you say in your word that if we be any otherwise minded besides pressing toward the mark, that you will reveal this to us. So, Father, I pray you will do that now. We claim that promise. Reveal to us that which hinders our walk with you and give us the strength, the courage, and the power to do to overcome such things. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, but as your word says, you've begun a good work within us. You continue that work, and you will bring that work to completion. We ask for you to continue that work in us now. Father, open our eyes, sharpen our spiritual sentence. If we are, if we are drifting from you, draw us closer. If we have turned our backs on you, help us to repent and turn around. If we have forsaken you, thank you that you never forsake us. So we ask you to dismiss us this morning and pray that we will not leave here just unchanged, that we will leave here with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. For we are told that when we thirst for those things, we will be filled. So now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before your glorious presence without fault and with great joy to you only, God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and to the end of the age. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. If you'd like to be prayed for, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you this morning.